Welcome to the Forecast Fest. I'm Kate Baldwin, here with John Avlon. Hola. And Harry Enton. Konnichiwa. Come on. Ooh, I like that konnichiwa. You know, shalom. I mean, I, I'm just what, trying now to... now you're embarrassed trying, trying to break your, out of his I try, You know, I'm just... I love that every week he wants to reinvent the wheel <laughs> when the wheel is just fine. You know what? Sometimes you want to break out from the caricature that is your life. Uh, uh, there is... Are doing that. It is an impossibility yes, for you to for, break for, out of sure. that caricature. I, I think I'm already where, I'm, where I am. <laughs> you <laughs> created it. Now you get to live with it. <laughs> All right. We don't have time to talk because we have a lot to talk about. On Monday, friends, the Iowa caucuses finally happened, and it turned out great, everybody. (laughs) Was it super? (laughs) It was. Great job, everybody. Fantabulous is what I'll say. Um, Full star. Super coordinated, super well done, and answers the question, is there an app for that? Has now officially been answered. Okay. It did not turn out quite as we expected, obviously. The vote reporting debacle uh, delayed the results from the opening contest. The state's Democratic Party said, at least in part, it had to do with this new app that they were using to report the results and said it failed due to a coding issue. Learn how to code, folks. Learn how to code. (laughs) (laughs) As of this moment, and I can only say as of this moment, as we are taping and talking to you, uh, a winner is still not known. So the candidates have essentially said thanks, but no thanks. And they've moved on to New Hampshire. Later. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened? What is happening? What does the Iowa mess mean for New Hampshire? And to top it off, there's another debate this week. We're going to get to all of that and Harry's forecast for the Granite State. But first... We really do just need to mind meld um, about Iowa, which is after leaving us all in the dark, and I only care about myself, of course, here, um, the Iowa Democratic Party did finally release some results. It's now come out in two batches, mm-hmm. at least what we have Delicious. At, this very, <laughs> at this very moment. With 71 percent reporting, you have Pete Buttigieg in the lead with 26.8 percent. Bernie Sanders at 25.2%. Very, they're basically locked for the top. Uh, Elizabeth Warren at 18.4%. Joe Biden at 15.4%. And Amy Klobuchar at 12.6%. And so on and so forth. Um, anyone want to begin? Well, Iowa? What? <laughs> Iowa what? Iowa So you people who are listening can't actually see the spreadsheet that's, that's in front of us. That's what a podcast uh, is, and that is what, But if you as far were— far as you know, they're right here. You, that's right. They're, act, they're all with us. They're with us in our hearts and souls. Just go. Look, what's so interesting is we have this spreadsheet here, and what Kate read to you was the state delegate equivalent total. Which and is that, the only thing that really matters in the end, so don't get in the weeds, except that's the whole point of this podcast. Th- that's exactly right. Exactly. That's, and let me correct myself. That's the way that the major news networks are determining, going to project a winner, so on and so forth. But what's so interesting, of course, is there's that first vote and that final vote. And from each category you go, from first vote to final vote, after realignment to total statewide delegate equivalents, the margin between Sanders and Buttigieg shrinks and becomes better for Buttigieg. And ultimately, he takes the lead in the statewide delegate equivalent category. And that, to me, is a story here of Pete Buttigieg being organized in Iowa. You get more statewide delegate equivalents per attendee uh, in the more rural areas. And also that Pete Buttigieg was a lot of people's second choice and he gained realignment. This is a victory for organization and a victory for being people's second choice for Pete Buttigieg. You know, I was pretty sure that uh, the phrase victory for organization would not apply to anything involving uh, this caucus. But look, you know, 
there's also the expectations game, and the expectations were very high for um, Bernie Sanders. Buttigieg really did seem to out-organize him. Again, he has benefited from the fact that he's ahead so far. We don't know how this is going to end. Well, okay, so but let's stop there. Do you guys see with 29 more percent to go um, in reporting that this could wildly change? Maybe. Look, I have the scars from 2012 where Mitt Romney was declared the winner and then folks realized after the fact, and I did reporting on this, I called the precinct heads and helped establish that actually the Iowa GOP was lying to everybody and that the the actual winner would be uh, ultimately Rick Santorum, which it was, but it deprived him entirely of that bump he deserved. I, I would believe based upon what I understand of what's out is we have tallies from all 99 counties. Uh, the precincts do seem to be fairly representative of what's going on. There is still some doubt. That's why the networks aren't projecting it. More likely than not, Judge will ultimately be the winner in the statewide delegate equivalents. But I honestly think that misses the forest for the trees, or whatever the heck the saying is. I never get it right. The acorns for the squirrel? What? That's not a thing, actually. I just no. Sure. Literally. Don't eat cheese before noon, as they said in basketball. Uh, look, Here's the thing. Pete Buttigieg, regardless of whether he's barely first or barely second, very much outperformed his polls. Bernie Sanders did about as well as his polling indicated. And that fourth name that you read, I I don't for folks who might forget it. uh, Biden, the former vice president of the United States, coming in what seems to be fourth place in the first nation contest where he campaigned. Look, it's not a great state for him demographically. He does very well among African-American voters. If you've ever been to Iowa outside really of Des Moines and maybe a few other of the metropolitan areas, there really aren't a lot of them um, in the state. But that is not a good showing for someone who originally claimed that they would be viable all over the place. And simply put, if you look at the returns, he wasn't viable, I believe, in about 30 percent of the caucuses. Not a good result for him. It's really wild. It, it, it's, it's really wild. It is. And a lot Except of Except when you look at Biden's history with Iowa. Well, so there are a couple of factors. One, one, there's that. I think more to the point, you know, while people thought that he would pick up people from Klobuchar mm-hmm. uh, and Buttigieg who ended up seemingly going for Buttigieg. And we should talk about also about the fact that if he does win, it, you know, it is extraordinary. Uh, we have a historic moment that no one's talking about, which itself is a measure of progress. And then we have the first openly gay candidate win a caucus for primary in American history. That's a big deal. And I think it's great that it's not the headline because it's, his campaign is about much more than than that uh, aspect of, of his identity. That said, Biden's always done better on national numbers. He's We've always known he's going to do worse in a caucus type situation. So I'm not sure why. Uh, there's as much surprise uh, as this. The expectations game was never particularly played Because when you're running on, I'm the most likely and best chance to beat Donald Trump. When you're running on that Iowa caucus is not a good measure of that. Well, you know what? It's what you get first. And so you've got this kind of collision course of, right, caucuses aren't a great measure of that. But it is the first contest that you've got. And that is where you get momentum. And that is when sets expectations and sets you up for the next contest. So you've got these things that collide. And regardless, there's no way that Joe Biden, I know, and I'm going to keep talking without taking a breath so he can't jump in. (laughs) If, 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 If things remain as is. Is, this is bad. Yeah. This is so bad for Joe Biden. What is David Axelrod quotes quoted a song last night um, in snake? CNN coverage, and he said yeah. something like, so "There's some line from a song that's how can I miss you if you never leave or something like Freedom's that. just another word for nothing left to lose. Something like that. Something Love like will that. keep us together. Okay, I opened up Pandora but again. The reason you you hit on the key point, Kate, the word expectations. 
expectations are everything in Iowa. Iowa doesn't matter because of the number of delegates that are won and lost. The fact is the delegates going on to the state to the national convention will probably be the same between Buttigieg and Sanders at the end of the day. The reason Iowa matters, it's not that delegates don't matter, Mr. Avalon. Delegates do matter at the at the end of the day. But the reason why Iowa matters is expectations and momentum effects and expectations coming into this were that Bernie Sanders was that Bernie Sanders was going to win but that Joe Biden was going to be competitive with him. And if you look at these results, no matter if you look at the first vote, the final vote, or the total statewide delegate equivalents, he simply put, was not. And and Buttigieg clearly outperformed expectations. And so we could talk about the narrative and the concrete political impacts of the narrative. But, I mean, I just uh, – the obvious point that seems to come out of this particular debacle is that candidates spend six months focusing on 170,000 caucus goers in a, in a in a state that is a great state educated per capita but Republic, democrats have been trying to reform their primary and caucus process for years it was almost done a few years ago there was a proposal when terry mccall was head of the dnc to make it a, ro- a rotating regional primary um i don't see how iowa doesn't lose this status. There's got to be a better way to pick a president of the United States. So is there more that can, even though it's not a great barometer, maybe, of exactly where the Democratic Party is, is, but is there, what do we then learn from these numbers other than, right, Joe Biden has a problem, just to put it simply. But what about, what can you, what do you learn from the Pete Buttigieg performance here? Is it that that they he has a distinct message that he has been pitching, right? I followed him around New Hampshire. And and one of the things that he is he says at every stop is part of the appeal in order to win against Donald Trump is to reach out to what he likes to call future former Republicans. And it's disaffected Republicans. You look at those however, how many, what is it, 30 plus swing counties, Thirty-one um, pivot counties in Iowa. in Iowa, and I don't know if we have the results. Twenty-four of those out of the thirty-one, as of this taping, we're going for Pete Buttigieg okay. over Bernie Sanders. Okay. That's a big deal. And so, I mean, if if you're talking about electability, that's that looks like electability to some folks. It does look like electability. And, you know, you mentioned people to judge his message. It kind of sounds a lot like Joe Biden's message in the case of reaching out to the middle. True. And that, I think, was perhaps the story here, which we hit on a little bit earlier. And that was it's the question of that strength of who who runs that lane. Right. right? Who, you have this progressive lane. You have this moderate lane. Supposedly, those obviously are not perfect. We've spoken about that before. But it does appear, at least in terms of media narratives, that Pete Buttigieg won that quote unquote lane in Iowa, the question going forward isn't to me necessarily even whether or not he'll win in New Hampshire, which I actually think he has a decent shot of doing, but rather rather what happens when the electorate starts looking more like the Democratic Party instead of a, a very just to be perfectly honest with you, 19, 1950s, you know, suburban Kansas. Well, and, and, and look, I mean, Buttigieg's message and his demeanor, I mean, it is an extraordinary rise he's been able to achieve for the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who's 37 years old. It speaks to his political talents, his communications talents, the way he's differentiated himself. There were a ton of folks who tried to run in the center lane who had better rec- records and statewide elected officials who who couldn't win place or show and dropped out months ago. Steve mm-hmm. Bullock. It is, yeah, <laughs> Steve Bullock, I mean, on and on and on. So major props to an extraordinary achievement for him and his campaign. Liz Smith, but, oh my goodness. Yeah, but let's, well, let's, let's 
watch what happens as it goes forward. Because the other thing um, that I think could happen is that all of a sudden the former mayor of New York City could be very well positioned to take advantage of this chaos. And of course, John, I'm talking about Mike Rudy Bloomberg. Rudy Giuliani. I thought, no, sorry, Mike Bloomberg. I thought you were talking about kidding. David Dinkins. <laughs> talking about Mike Bloomberg and when Mike Bloomberg enters the real, it's really, I mean, he's entered the conversation when you look at, Big time. obviously, the ads that he's and the money he's putting in, but when he really enters the race come Super Tuesday um, in March. Okay, so what is, guys, we talked so much about the lead up to Iowa. Is the big surprise Pete Buttigieg or is the big surprise Joe Biden? I th- I think the Buttigieg story has taken more of the the top line here, especially given that the polling for Buttigieg, even at the end, wasn't that good. You know, it, oh, my you, gosh. All of the conversation at the very end was, did he peak too soon? Did he, did he peak too soon? Did he peak too, so on and so forth. And in fact, it turns out he didn't peak too soon. Uh, he, regardless of whatever metric you look at, he's either in first or second place as of this taping. He did not peak too soon. He seems to have an ability, you know, look, as this field narrows eventually, winnows eventually even further, there's going to be a question as to which candidate is best positioned to pick up the support of those other candidates. And what these Iowa results seem to indicate is that it Buttigieg is in a far better position than a Biden or certainly a Sanders to pick up people on that second choice. And that's going to be very, very pivotal going forward. Yeah. And, and the Democratic Party has gravitated to the hot hand uh, historically, a young, fresh face. I'll say the other surprise we're not talking about is Elizabeth Warren really had trouble converting at the end of the day. Um, it, it really appears that not only did Bernie beat her in the left lane pretty considerably, but for all her really vaunted Iowa enthusiasm and organization. Talk about peaking too early. Um, I, I think she had trouble actually like taking, you know, accounting. Because a lot of, again, yeah. back to what people were talking about throughout the lead up was that Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg were rivaling each other for organization and ground game and how much time they were spending on the ground and how much effort they were putting into their organization efforts. And you don't really see that pan out for Elizabeth Warren. I think what's so key here is, you know, I've spoken about the three counts, that final vote to total standard delegate equivalents. And why that's important for Elizabeth Warren is it gives you an understanding of not just the depth but the breadth of support. And you need to be doing better in those rural counties in order to to hold on to your percentage in the final statewide delegate equivalents compared to that final vote. And we see Warren support drop by near by a little more than two percentage points as of this taping. That is the largest drop of any of the candidates in the top four. And that is an indication that her support is very much focused in on those urban areas, those well-educated areas. And you know what? There are a lot of white college vote white college voters in the Democratic Party. But the fact is, there are not that many of them. So the the part of the problem, they say, with the caucuses was the fact that there was more transparency and more more data that they were putting out. So now for the first time... <laughs> not sure that was the problem, so but they, sure. So they said... So you, part of what we now have is, I guess, kind of the equivalent of a popular vote when it comes to Iowa as well. And that's where Bernie Sanders is seeing that he's... says that he's winning. He is. is, is so is that a win? Uh, no, I don't think it's a win because the fact is that what we care about at the end of the day is delegates and popular vote doesn't necessarily translate to that, although that final vote and they'll have about an equal number of statewide delegates. But again, it's just about the mojo coming out. I mean, it's the, it is about the mojo. But think of it this way. 
Right now, Bernie Sanders has about 25 percent of the statewide delegate equivalents. Pete Buttigieg has 27 percent. Look at the 2016 results, right? What Hillary Clinton was at 50. Bernie Sanders was at about 50. So by any either of those two metrics, Bernie Sanders has lost ground. It's not just that his support was cut in half. This is obviously a much larger field, so that's not too much of a surprise. But he actually, compared to the leading candidate, is doing worse than he did four years ago. Half I'm, as well. Right, well, half as well as compared to himself. But yes. Two points worse versus his competitor, his leading competitor, and. That, to me, is not necessarily a great thing. And now it's going to be about expectations going forward. And if you think the expectations were high for Bernie Sanders going into Iowa, Mm -hmm. let me tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet. He won New Hampshire by how many freaking points last time around? Twenty-two the expecta- points. The expectations today? are going to be woo. Well, he and he and who is setting those expectations? Bernie Sanders is setting those expectations. Yeah, sure. he, he set them in Iowa too. And, he said- and by the way, you know, in addition to the sort of old timey tin whistle of uh, Harry's sound uh, effect right there, uh, that's also what they call a segue. Uh, I like it. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break, friends. When we come back, Harry's going to give us the latest forecast coming out of New Hampshire. Plus, we're going to preview the upcoming primary debate uh, taking place on Friday, if you can even believe what's all going to happen this week. That's up next. We're back. On to New Hampshire, everyone. Goodbye, Iowa. Let's oh, head east. Bye-bye, nope. Miss America. No, that's my song. You're not allowed to butcher that one. <laughs> Harry, can you give us, can you give folks the lay of the land for the, your forecast in the Granite State, please? Yeah. So this is rather interesting, right? I've been doing this, doing these odds based upon historical predictiveness of polls since 1980. And if you looked pre-Iowa, what you would expect, essentially expect in New Hampshire was that Bernie Sanders was the clear favorite, 11 in 20, 11 in 20 odds of winning, chance of winning, which is over 50 percent. Pete Buttigieg all the way back at 2 in 20. And Joe Biden was in third at 4 in 20, Elizabeth Warren at 2.5 in 20. But take into account that Iowa bounce. And this Iowa bounce is based upon two things. It's based upon whether or not you won in Iowa And two, it's based upon how much you outperformed expectations, essentially how much better did you do than your polling average. And what we'd expect here is that Bernie Sanders is is certainly still the favorite in New Hampshire, at least according to my math. But he drops a little bit below 50 percent, a 9.5 out of in 20 chance of winning. But Pete Buttigieg goes from a 2 in 20 chance of winning to a 5 in 20 chance of winning. He's up considerably while the former vice president dips to a 2.5 chance in 20. And so that, to me, is indicative of what we might expect in New Hampshire. We've seen large bounces coming out of Iowa before for winners, especially when they do significantly better than their polling average suggests that they will. So, you know, one of the things that fascinates me about New Hampshire is, first of all, you, you ha- it's one of the few states, I think there are 10, nine sta- 10 or 9 states where registered independents outnumber Democrats or Republicans. New Hampshire is famously one of them. Live free or die. And so that's always a major X factor when its primaries come around. The other one is there's a neighboring state uh, uh, elected official impact that's traditionally ha- ha- had a, been a thing. Now Not always double. winning. Right. So you got double. And we've had that before, right? We, we've had that dynamic before. But Bernie Sanders winning by 20 last time around or thereabouts is nuts given the character of the state. But he is popular, shares a media market, popular in Vermont. 
Elizabeth Warren being so down in this poll is really interesting to me, given her prominence in Massachusetts politics. And Buttigieg, given that his whole campaign, as you were saying, Kate, has been kind of predicated on trying to win over independent voters, is probably better positioned than one would typically think coming out of Iowa, especially that bounce. So uh, obviously expectations high for Sanders. Buttigieg has the right message for the state typically. Bernie Sanders, by the way, does not necessarily. But I'm fascinated that Warren really doesn't seem to be in a competitive position for a neighboring state. In in my odds, and I should say they're based off of polls. It's, I'm not, I don't produce my own polls, John, although, you know, maybe we can start a call center together. Wouldn't that be nice? We'd call everybody up, try and get – we'd be stuck there for hours uh, based upon response rates these days being I was going to be 10%. like, your hang-up rate terrible. is going to be remarkable. Uh, I know <laughs> I'd hang up if I called myself. Um, <laughs> Look, before I before the Iowa results, Warren was essentially tied with Buttigieg in the polls. And this is something that I've always wondered about Elizabeth Warren, right? You know, we were talking about whether or not she had a disappointing performance in Iowa. I would argue that she did. But in a state like New Hampshire, they know her. Massachusetts and New Hampshire share the Boston media market. And she's the people who know her best don't seem to be going overwhelmingly for her. Mm-hmm. And in a choice between Sanders as the next door neighbor and Warren as the next door neighbor, Sanders has been essentially lapping Elizabeth Warren. And I I don't, you know, look, she's not out of the game. Strange things can happen. She's not a nail shot in New Hampshire. But the fact is she's behind in the polls, and I don't think there's a really good shot that she's going to win there. Is New Hampshire make or break for anyone now in this new reality that they're all operating in, which is post the mess of Iowa? Look, I think think New Hampshire has a bigger resonance than most states historically because it, it takes the Iowa momentum, which is relatively small, crystallizes it in a primary. The, the, the crucible then becomes what happens in South Carolina, yeah, Nevada, but that always gets underplayed historically, and then on to Super Tuesday. I think given that the Iowa results were so muddled, um, if Buttigieg continue, continue the momentum, that's a very big deal for his campaign. Mm-hmm. It's really the pathway forward for Pete Buttigieg is to continue his campaign momentum in New Hampshire. These are two states, two states that are custom built for him in the sense that he does best among white voters. He's had a real problem connecting with non-white voters. If he can't win in New Hampshire going forward, where else is he supposed to win? Is he supposed to win in Wyoming? Is that where he's supposed to win, which has pretty much no delegates? He has to win. He has to build up momentum from New Hampshire that he hopes that he can carry through to Nevada and so on and so forth. He doesn't need to win necessarily in Nevada, and he certainly doesn't necessarily need a win in South Carolina, but he probably needs to do well in New Hampshire. The fact is that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren also have to do really well in New Hampshire being next door and, Big time. and here's a, Sanders' performance last time. Here's around. a dumb question alert. No such thing. The last times Joe Biden has run, did he make it to New Hampshire? No, he did not. That's right. So he, this is he's he's actually made it this time. He's made it to the New Hampshire primary. Congratulations. Oh, my God. Remember, he dropped out before any of the contests were thought. held in 88 and he dropped out after, after Iowa after in 2008. Iowa. Right. So he's made it that far. But look, I think Joe Biden does need a good performance here. But the fact is, you know, I, as we sort of go through the list, right, it almost seems like they all need good performances in New Hampshire. I agree. I mean, but Buttigieg being being in the position that he's in, meaning he's still, you know, he's he's got this big boost of momentum and real validation for his strategy coming out of Iowa, but still um, his lack of support that we've seen against non-white voters, at least in the polls so far, he does, smart money is, he's got to do mm-hmm. well in New Hampshire 
to even get a look in Nevada and South Carolina, considering sure. what he's up against there. And, and it's very unclear who's the Biden backup in South Carolina <laughs> if if he fades. I mean, Biden Tom still. Steyer. Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer. You know, I, I know you throw that out as a joke. I honestly no. am not sure it's necessarily much of a joke. I, I think Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer in South Carolina has been polling Heard it well. Here, folks, folks. And has, why? Explain to folks he, why. He because has, he's, he's put how much money on advertisements in advertisements in the state of South Carolina, and that is probably going to be a majority African-American electorate. It's going to be much more moderate than the electorates than we've seen so far in these contests. And if it's not Joe Biden in South Carolina, then it's got to be someone. And Tom Steyer has been polling pretty well there. That's profound. It's got to be someone. It's got to be someone. Thanks, Harry. You know who it might be? It might be John Eflon. There you go. Let's switch gears now. On Friday, candidates are going to face off once again on the debate stage. I know. Can you believe this week? Iowa. Super Bowl. More Iowa, more Iowa, more Iowa. Iowa, Iowa, impeachment, State of the Union. Mm -hmm. Town hall, town hall. Then a debate. Following us? That's crazy. Uh As of this this recording, seven candidates have made the cut. Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Sanders, Steyer, Warren, and Yang. Ah, Andrew, I forgot about him. What what are you talking about? What is going to happen come Friday? One thing I think we should probably all agree on is Pete Buttigieg is going to be the center of attention, which means it's going to be the center of the attacks. You got that right. The knives are going to, you know, we've been wondering when there would be the real attacks on Pete Buttigieg. I thought they were going to happen, I think, back in the December debate. Didn't occur. Now is the time if you're going to stop the helium balloon from getting too high in the air. You've got to go now, now, now. I expect the knives to be out. This isn't child's play anymore. The knives will be out for Buttigieg. I expect the knives to be out for Sanders. It's about converting voters, stopping momentum. Can can I ask you a question, though? Because there's a difference in the two parties, right? We have asymmetric polarization. Is there evidence that negative attacks work as well in the Democratic primary as they do in the Republican? Or is the evidence actually that they can backfire and hurt the person who, who attacks? Elizabeth Warren earlier this year seemed to have that momentum, right? Then they went after her, Medicare for all, so on, so forth. I, I see. I, I would argue that the Medicare for all thing hurt her was actually people taking a look at the position, not a negative attack. That it was that, actually ideologically an outlier. Well, it hadn't, could, hurt, hadn't hurt Bernie Sanders. But what's it? Well, he's, where, he's, where, he's talking like an, making an, uh, a personal attack, a, a personal attack. Like, let me play one out. Who wants to play Chris Christie and who wants to play Marco Rubio from the last? Oh, I've, oh that was a good one. That That's was right. a good one. That, that was, was the night attack. before uh, the New Hampshire. Yeah. No, I think it was the night before. It was a Saturday night. I will, Whatever. And, and I mean, creepy. really, you want to nitpick me on that? Yes. You can nitpick me on poll numbers. Don't have to nitpick me on that. Anyway, right before the New Hampshire prim- Republican primary in a 2006, nope, yeah. 2000, six, yes, six, 16, 16, feels like, yes. I was going like, to go eight and I was like, feels like years ago. Um, debate stage, Republicans, Marco Rubio, given his line, I'm here to say words, I'm here to say words, and Chris Christie had a perfect personal attack on yep. him, which was... Basically, you're a robot. Yeah, it's a robot. There you go again. And it, I mean, not that Marco Rubio, you could argue, was already on. It was a little murder suicide, but it was, it was effective. Point being, is there any evidence that that negative attacks don't backfire on in the Democratic primary? I don't think there's no evidence to me that suggests that you shouldn't go after someone. I will say the one thing I will note is that Elizabeth Warren and that Bernie Sanders tiff. 
um, in January, uh, January over whether or not he had said that a woman candidate couldn't beat Donald Trump did not seem to benefit her. It did not seem to necessarily um, hurt Bernie Sanders. Uh, so, Who wants to bet that Wine Cave comes up again? I wouldn't be surprised if Wine mm. Cave comes oh up again. Oh my yeah, god! Sure. But, Seriously, but, I was but, actually saying that in a joke. But, but no, no, yeah. I, I, you're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get his lack of African American support in his hometown. You're gonna get Wine Cave. Um, I don't you know imagine anyone will mention his sexuality, nor should they. But no, that no, will no, be, that'll never happen. But but look, but that that will be a hurdle he has to cross um, with certain communities in this country, and it'll be interesting to see how that's raised in a. In a civil way, I don't think it will be, but that's something that he's going to have to um, deal with. And and I think it's been extraordinary his pioneering nature of his candidacy um, that he has transcended all these a lot of deep history of bigotry in this country when it comes to the LGBTQ community. Um, but it's not like that's over. Something that's also unique about New Hampshire voters right now is there's a high, high number of undecideds, right? And feels like New Hampshire, doesn't it? Right. But that's that's an exciting element. I think an important element that you know that these candidates are going to be considering as they as they hit the debate stage. There, you've got you've, there's convincing. It's not just rallying. It's convincing. There are these block of voters who have a pretty good understanding that I want A, B, or C, but I'm not sure which one I want. I'm not sure who has the best chance of winning. And essentially, you see this movement towards them in the final moments. That sometimes the polls capture, sometimes it doesn't. In the case of Iowa, but Buttigieg, most of the polls really didn't capture that, that sort of more moderate lane vote. Mm -hmm. There is going it's going to be interesting to see if Buttigieg can capitalize, as we were talking before, on those Iowa results in New Hampshire and the idea that he has momentum. And will this debate help shape that further? And again, his core pitch of his candidacy actually is a better fit for the voters of New Hampshire than Iowa. Yeah, in and especially out of Iowa, they're not changing anything in their strategy. I mean, it is that it, it was validation of their strategy in Iowa rather than anything else. As, as we began the podcast, um, Harry always tries to reinvent the wheel, even though the wheel does pretty gosh darn good. It seemed to me that the wheel in Iowa worked pretty gosh darn good for people to judge why reinvent it in New Hampshire. Gosh darn. Rolling into Manchester. All right, everybody, that's a wrap <laughs> for us today. Thanks so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. In the meantime, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Kate Baldwin. I'm at John Avalon. I'm at Forecast Renton on your Twitter or Instagram dial. A special thanks to our team behind the scenes, Lauren Moore, Raj Makija, Zach St. Louis. We've got just nothing but cities. It's true. our friends here. David Toledo, one of my favorite cities. And a special thank you to our dear Amy Eason. This is her final taping of the pod with us as she is on to bigger and better things and has finally decided to quit us. We finally broke her, guys. We finally broke her. We will miss you. You are awesome in all kinds of ways. We love you, Amy. I don't know what I'm going to do without you because you're the only one that could deal with Harry. I'll figure it out. You're only a phone call away. We'll figure it out together. All right. We'll see you guys next time on the Forecast Fest. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 